Welcome to Conversations with Z and Vindesh, a weekly discussion that explores common life challenges and offers practical solutions. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. That's D-H-A-R-M-A media.com. Welcome everyone to this week's edition of Conversations with Z and Vindesh. And today we're covering a very interesting topic, passion. Z, you and I were spending some time talking about this earlier in the week. And passion is one of these things that I find really interesting from a personal standpoint. So on the one hand, passion is not just what gives life meaning. In a sense, it's life itself. It's our creative force. It's our drive, our will to survive. Our sexuality is wrapped up in passion. It's our fire it's the spirit that moves the human condition forward. So there's a lot to be said for passion. On the other hand, a lot of us grow up in a society or a family or a culture which shies away from passion. And in fact, if you look at some of the religious texts, so I grew up in an Eastern family, a Hindu family. And if you look at Hinduism, you look at Buddhism, I don't know if this is the original interpretation, Z, but a lot of what I was taught growing up is restraint. So it's always about restraining passion and controlling your mind, controlling your senses, not letting your desires, your anger, your sexuality get out of control. And in fact, it got to the point where there were a lot of topics we never even covered. So we never talked about sex as a family, even though that's such a fundamental part of life. And that's tied into passion, but it was something that maybe was just too potent or too shameful. So that was a topic that never came up. And if you go beyond that, beyond the family, the religion, you think about our society, we're in this weird place where expression itself becomes vilified. No one wants to be offended. You see this trend on college campuses, which we've talked about, where people come in and they present their research And suddenly students are protesting, not because of the research itself and the methodology, but because of the conclusions. They're hearing things that they don't want to hear. So they're not even even willing to engage and have a debate and share ideas and share different perspectives. Comedians, we've talked about this in the same way. I've talked to someone who was running an open mic, and he's been doing it for probably 15, 20 years. He said in the last... 10 years, satire is totally dead. People don't get satire. They don't want satire. They don't feel comfortable with it. I see this in the workplace all the time where no one wants to offend. So there's a tendency, excuse me, a tendency to be over polite, over accommodating, to give everyone's ideas the same weight, even if certain people are saying things that make no sense. And we end up in groupthink. We end up wasting a lot of time And more fundamentally, a life without passion just seems like a living death. It's something that's not inspiring. It's just a dull, monotonous routine. It's almost like you take a brilliant landscape in full color and you just allow it to dissolve into shades of gray until it fades into a fog. And that, to me, is what a life without passion feels like. So today we're talking about this topic and I think we still need to maintain some balance. So we're not talking about unrestrained passion. Passion, as you put it, I thought this analogy was perfect. It's like the sun. It's this brilliant light and it can shine. It can illuminate. It can also harm if we allow it to shine too brightly or unchecked. So it's something that we have to manage. And that's really what we're talking about. We're talking about how to tap into our passion, direct that passion in healthy ways so that we can fully express ourselves, get the most out of life and our short time on this earth, but not burn ourselves down in the process. Z, what are your thoughts? How do we manage that that balance? We got on this subject the other day, you and I, just to privately we were talking and I, I've been thinking about it a lot and from, from a few different perspectives and I'd like to you know, just throw some things out there to everybody. So you do hear a lot in various uh, cultural with various cultural underpinnings, the ills of passion, and 
as you talked about Hinduism, we have to remember Hinduism and Brahmanism are two different things. Though they kind of go together, they're very different. So in Hinduism, they have what's known as the Yamas and Niyamas, kind of the do's and don'ts as it pertains to our behavior and so forth. But nowhere in there does it say no passion. So when you move into a passionless world, you no longer have art. You no longer have the ragas or music. You no longer have... Um, you no longer have colors. You have um, Kama, the god of love, and his wife, Rati, that, that talks about eroticism, where we get the Kama Sutra from. And the Kama Sutra gives you the yamas and niyamas of simple things, expressing your passion, but also with consent. So consent is the restraint of passion. Can we do this? Is this okay? Now, let's go do it. And so that then requires a burden of communication, which is part of restraint, of passion, is that are we communicating? Are we getting the feedback? Can I feed your fire? Should I subdue your fire? And so the mistake is, if you try to have restraint without communication, then there's nothing to talk about. You don't talk about sex. You don't talk about all the things that, that created sex, which is a form of art and expression, and it's a form of primalism. It is part of filling the prime directive. When you are sexless and you are, uh, 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 you have uh, have no ardor, no fire in you, then there's a whole nother path of existence that takes the spice out of your life. It takes the character out of your life. You exist, your heart beats, as the Veda says, but you're not human. So it's not about just sex. It's about that part of the most basic element of, of human beings. And passion gave us the reason to breathe. The baby that fought for its life, you know, my little one uh, was born, he had this cord all wrapped up, all kinds of things were going on, and he, he could barely have the energy to cry, but that desire to exist, the passion for life, gave him the hours and days he needed to get stronger and stronger and stronger. So too, we have innumerable stories. So passion is not something that we pour water on and, 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 and try to smother because what we're really doing is smothering life itself. So I would say passion following the yamas and niyamas or passion with a healthy amount of regulation and feedback and restraint is the reason we're alive and the reason we're civilized is because we can use restraint. A lot of times societally when we want to govern large groups of people, when we want to create, instead of a working society of cooperative individuals, and we want to create a hive mentality, we have to restrain passion quite a bit. We have to tell people what they can and can't do. No matter what you feel, you can't do this. If you feel like going to school and you want to study the sitar, you want to study the banjo. No, we don't want you to do that. Don't do that. Go to be an MBA. Go to your engineering school. Go do that because that will support the hive. And then when it's time to partner with somebody, don't think about those things. Don't explore your feelings. We will do that for you for the sake of the hive. And remember, it's very important to not have passion because, my God, what will the neighbors think? So you see the, 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 the path you would have to take to shut a human being down, to shut off passion. You have to start at a very early age. You have to create a, a boundary or a bond of shame. And that shame would have to include embarrassment, rejection, group suffering, parental betrayal, all these things you would have to pepper with a person so they wouldn't follow the thing that gave us life. You wouldn't follow that. Children at a very early age are um, exploring their humanity in different ways, innocent different ways. So right at that point, you have to teach them shame. So uh, one of my little ones had, a, had a, his friend over. Uh, he, he's five and his girlfriend is nine and they play together. And, and she said, hey, Show me your pee-pee. And he said, yeah, here it is. He whipped it out. And she said, oh, that's interesting. And they went back to playing, right? Now, my wife came in and just horrified. You know, she's 
uh, from her upbringing, she was saying, oh my God, you know, this is horrible. What, what, what's going to happen? I said, I don't know what's going to happen. Well, they went back to playing with cars and rocket ships and it was over. It was us that had a problem with it because it was a natural curiosity. Why are, am I a boy and you a girl? And there was nothing more to it. And this topic may not come up again until they hit puberty. At that point, we will have an appropriate conversation about the ways of life. But my wife's reaction to that, and we talked about it, is she said, I've never had a discussion about sex, ever, with my parents. Never talked about it, um, stumbled through the whole ordeal, uh, am still learning as an adult, and it's caused you know some challenges in my life because, it's, again, it goes beyond sex. It goes into how we relate and communicate with people because there's a huge part of yourself you are not supposed to deal with. Then it goes into career. You have yearnings in your body or you have talents, innate talents and gifts and questions. And in order to shut up that one question, you have to stop all questions. Why must I only go to, I'm, I, I'm going to go to medical school because it is appropriate. I'm going to go to lawyer, I'm going to go to law school because it is appropriate. I don't give a damn about the law. I really don't care that much about people to be a doctor, but for the sake of the passionless world that I support, I'm going to do these things. And on the other hand, if you just follow your passions untethered, it's like a flame that burns everywhere. So you you find yourself lost and constantly trying to consume more and more in order to keep that fire burning. You find yourself often looking for more thrills and spills in life, and you're never content. That's where the yamas and niyamas come, regulating through intelligence and looking and acknowledging your passions, acknowledging what you feel, not denying them, acknowledging what you feel, acknowledging that there's a yearning in me for not only uh, gross sensual pleasure, but also to explore the universe, to know what's on the other side, to talk to different people, to look at myself as an individual and with that individual, that let my small light reflect upon humanity. I want to see what is my place in all the infinite stars in the universe. I am also a star. And then I'm relating to other stars and I'm giving them light and gravity and existence and I'm creating form myself. And, and to do that, I need to be that. And so if being that, brings threat and harm to others. Is it me doing it or is it they're doing it? Is it the hive, the idea of the hive that we no longer know? Again, Ben, we talk a lot about the faceless committee. Who started this? I don't even know who started it. What would be the harm? What would be the real harm if, if, if in your life you had passion as a regular nurturing element in your life? So, the absence of passion is food that's nutritious with no flavor. The absence of passion is a career of emptiness and moving about. The absence of passion is the blinding of the faculties of the senses that give you attraction and repulsion to certain things in this world. There's a reason nature has bestowed us on the idea of attraction. It's an interesting mechanism. So we are oftentimes very attracted to diverse DNA, somebody different than our mother and father. There's a mechanism in the human body where we produce something known as vasopressin, oxytocin, and a few other of these types of hormonal, hormonal frequencies that make you very comfortable around your grandmother, but very repulsed by her sexually. Because nature doesn't want you to breed too close to your own um, base parent your mother and father. So the, 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 you, you crave someone different. You crave something outside of that. And in order to fulfill that passion, you develop abilities to go far from the nest, to make decisions, to think in creative ways, to form unique social strategies in order for you to engage and fulfill this prime directive of reproduce 
and improve the species, not level off, not maintain status quo. Now, that's what nature does. Now, humans have another plan. People want to build their financial wealth. They want to secure their land. They want to um, imagine they're going to live forever through their children. So they don't want that energy or that resource venturing out of a limited acreage, so to say. So we develop religious rules and guidelines that are in opposition to nature. There are 8 billion people now on earth. There is a lot of fucking going on. And if you don't talk about the thing that caused us to be populated, it is problematic. And it's more problematic if you don't talk about it. Because then you don't have the opportunities to build in your own personal restraints and responsibilities that go along with the expression of your passion. So then you also get other dysfunctions. You get the oppression of the weak because that energy goes out that's been suppressed. You have the crisis of the church, of uh, the pedophile priest, the abuser. You have human trafficking. You have all these things that you have uh, the horrific rapes that go on in the most conservative of societies. Not just the raping, but the murder of the object of your passion. So once the passion is ex expressed, you're so disgusted by yourself, then you have to dispose of the remains of that object of the expression of your passion. So you see the failings of the suppression of passion. We see the failings. But let's look at also the strategies of yamas and niyamas of regulating it in a sensible manner. So couples have trouble talking about topics. So right now, most people divorce based on financial reasons, money issues. Those money issues are directly related to trust issues. Those trust issues are directly related to the suppression of intimacy issues. Those intimacy issues are suppressed because of the way that we have built and designed into human relationships the shame of passion. So you see how that works? When you're with somebody, you're with them because there is a longing in your heart that goes back a million years of evolution. There is a desire to couple with that person and to act out the improvement of the species. So we have to take that out. We have to cut that out of your brain. We have to cut that out of your DNA, out of your flesh and bone. And then we have to fill that in with some sort of religious or cultural dogma in order for that culture and religion to exist. Maybe we should just let it collapse. As BK uh, and Bedekar said, maybe we should just annihilate the system so that humans can flourish. So passion, when it comes to career, imagine if you would, you worked a few hours in a job you had to work in that creates the space, uh, the, the kennel or the pot that you cook everything in and you spend as much time in something you were passionate about. How would that look in your life? I can't say I have the answer, but I know that I love what I do. I work in a profession that I am admired by many, many uh, people uh, who uh, are in our health professionals. And they've always said your passion for offering remedy to human suffering has elevated you and your intelligence to a level that we, we aspire to be. And I get this from, from specialists in all fields. And it's the passion that I have for it that drives me to study, to be better at, to have an open mind, to constantly be on the cutting edge of breakthroughs in technology. It is a passion that I have for those in my life that I want to be an example of good health. So I, I exercise, I work out even when I'm tired and beat up, not because of vanity, but because I have a passion for the people in my world. My neighbors are now 
come to me and we exercise and do things and we discuss diet, nutrition, and they've opened up to me uh, about other issues, emotional of all kinds, that we've shared and I'm able to improve their life. And in turn, I now have very dear friends. The other day, they came over and they knocked on my door early um, one morning, a weekend morning, and, and I'm normally pretty grumpy and and, and, uh, and they said, Z, we set a place for you for breakfast. And by the way, your friend from Italy is here. Is he coming for breakfast? And I said, oh, I don't know if I want to go. Then I went over and they had set up a good tent and there was this breakfast waiting. And they said, we're so glad to know you. And I just, it was like, wow. So that passion is very fulfilling. And also, but the yamas and niyamas, you know, there, of course, there is healthy boundaries. We manage it. We take that solar energy and direct it into that solar cell, turn it into current electricity, and we have a sustainable resource. We take that passion and that fire we have for life and we direct it in a way that nurtures us and is sustainable. The absence of passion is a world that offers very little and you need to consume a lot to maintain it. When you look at cultures that, that at one time flourished and they're no longer flourishing, you'll always see the absence of passion. The absence of passion. So in order for there to be no passion in one area, you must sacrifice the souls of many. You have to have a permanent underclass. So, um, I love Hinduism. I love India. My experiences in India were equivalent to those experiences I had in my own country. I've always felt deeply loved. It pushed me to study the Vedas inside out, and there's nothing stronger than a convert to something, even more so than one born into it. And nowhere did I find in the Vedas is passion an ugly thing. My God, Hinduism wrote the Kama Sutra. The Kama Sutra, up until the time of British people, was an open book that people could study um, the science and the sutras, the, 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 the way of human intimacy. And now you have to go far and deep and investigate for the temples to reveal the writings of the Kama Sutra and the pictures. What we would call pure pornography, but there it is art and it is part of a higher level of, of spirituality. And they understand because we are tethered to nature. And underneath all these wars is sexual frustration. When you see all this political strife and you look at these hideous leaders, no one's attracted to them. Their, their, their attraction is based on the power they wield and how much they have controlled others, how much wealth they have amassed. Take that away and they wouldn't have a mate. They wouldn't be able to act out the most basic element of the prime directive to reproduce and improve the species. Nobody would want to be with them. Take them naked as they are. Take away the power. Take away the armament. See them for what they are. Jabba the Hutt. Nobody wants to be with Jabba the Hutt. He's disgusting. He's horrible. Who would want to lay naked and be embraced and cuddled by a stinky, sweaty, pussy blob. So in lieu of attraction, then we need money. We need armament. We need power. We need to control others. You see how it goes? So there, so that a passion is poisonous. You follow me, Vin? Yeah, good God, Z. You've touched on so many things that resonate. First of all, I'm laughing at your Jabba the Hutt analogy, which I think is completely true. And I've often thought that, that we're in this weird society where you've got people in positions of power. And it's really not even based on anything. Maybe at times it is. They know how to work the system, play a certain game. But it's not based on physical fitness. It might not be based on intelligence. It's based on nothing but being in that seat. 
and you take them out of the seat and there's no redeeming value. But that's what happens in a passionless society. Things like physical fitness, like having hobbies, being interesting, thoughtful, expressive, those are devalued. And in the course of creating that underclass, you create the power. So you allow people who don't have the passion, who don't have anything to offer, to elevate themselves on the back of the masses. That's what I think of when I think of your job of the hut discussion. There are a few other things that you hit on that I just want to share my perspective on because it's very personal for me. I, I listen to what you say. You talked about how when you restrain passion in one area, it's not like you can separate the different areas. Passion is an integrated life force. So if you start cutting back in career or you start cutting back in sexuality or if you start restraining your speech and your ideas because you want to conform and fit in, that's going to affect everything about you. And that's what I've experienced personally. I feel like I've gone through a personal renaissance in the last six, seven, eight years. And it's almost like once you unleash that force, it changes all aspects of life simultaneously. There's just much more excitement around life. There's much more expression. And part of that is sexual. Part of that is creative. Part of that is in the way that I interact with other people, the types of discussions that I have, the ardor with which I defend certain ideas. It's, it's all related to a life force. And you could call that passion. You could call it something else. But when you suppress part of that, you suppress the whole. And it affects the entire organism. And it's bad for health. That's the bottom line. It's going to destroy mental health. It also destroys your conception of self. I know when I haven't fully expressed myself, that's when you start feeling timid. You start feeling insecure. You have a negative self-image. You see yourself as weaker, as more of a victim. And that's going to impact your physical health. It's going to impact the ease with which you can navigate this world. So just the act of expression is a reclamation of health. And for no other reason than that, I think it's something that we should consider, let alone all the other benefits that it has. And you touch on some of these. When you're passionate about something, it leads to a drive to evolve, to be better, to excel. It creates charisma. It naturally attracts other people because you have something to say. You have a unique perspective. You draw other people in. You can share ideas. And that's how we all grow. We learn from each other. And we evolve. And some of the strangest trends that I can think of in our society today, things like cultural appropriation, where we are actually shutting down the exchange of ideas. And we're saying, no, you cannot get excited about what one culture has done. You cannot imitate that. We cannot evolve together. We cannot grow together. We're going to appropriate this and hold it for ourselves. And that's the opposite of sharing. That's the opposite of expression. That's just another bizarre feature of where we are today as a species. But I want to go back to something you said at the beginning of your discussion. You talked about how at certain times, restraining passion makes sense. So if we're in a war situation or a society is trying to accomplish certain goals, you need people to fulfill a particular role. And you say, for the good of the entire community, Yes, you want to play a guitar, but right now, guess what? We need to build buildings and we need to eat food. So go and hunt or go and build. And when we get past that, fine. We can free up time and energy. People can pursue what they want to pursue. We can have a more open society. And then when we hit times of crisis, maybe we hunker down. We force people again to fulfill certain roles. But there's a very clear reason for that exchange. So you give something up. But you do it because you're hunkering down, you're focused on survival, and it's a bridge to something. It's a bridge to a time when you can again release the fire, release the passion, and live in a more fulfilling way. What I'm wondering is, where did we go wrong? And I think about my culture. You mentioned the Kama Sutra. I think about that. I think about the Mahabharat, the story of the Great War, uh, which you gave me a copy of, and I've read it before. I read it years ago. I'm reading it again. 
And it's striking going through this. There is so much passion built into that story. It's a story. It's a story of warriors who are willing to fight and die for honor, for things that they believe in, for their conception of right and wrong. They go on these journeys. They have all these adventures. They meet different people. They have sex left and right, not just the men, but the women. And they embrace that. They embrace that aspect of themselves. So it's written in history. It's part of the culture. It's part of the scripture. I kind of think, what the hell happened? How did we go from that to a point where we can't even have a discussion about human sexuality, the most basic force on the planet? Where did we go wrong? I get the argument about how maybe 500, 1,000 years ago, whatever it was, there was some famine, some catastrophe, and we had to say, all right, forget about the passion. Let's focus on something else. But how come we never went back? Why did we only go in this direction and we seem to have become mired and stagnate in this passionless world? And worse than that, at times it seems to accelerate and maybe it feeds on itself. I mean, maybe this is the control and the enslavement and the creation of the underclass that you've talked about. And once that machinery gets into place, you need to rob a society of its passion to keep that mechanism going. I don't really know what it is, see, but I want your thoughts on that. How come we never came back from the other side? Well, Vin, I look at a few things and studying that and traveling, observing. And it, it again, I always forgive uh, in, in the way that you forgive to understand why people are there. So 1947, partition ended the colonization, the conquest of Hindustan, right? Around that same time, all other nine aligned countries were breaking from the colonial rule. And a big part of colonial rule was the complete devastation of a culture, the history, the ways, the means, the ideas, the values. Everything had to be destroyed. Some cultures were completely wiped off the planet. And the same time, uh, in that period of time where Hindustan was being uh, colonized, Argentina killed every African that was within the borders of Argentina, wiped them off, and they would uh, kill every male that existed, take the females and rebreed them until all the black was bred out of them through rape. You look at the um, the killings of, of in, throughout Asia during the period of colonial um, dominance, and then that whole thing. Look what happened in Ireland to whole swaths of people to uh, degrade them. And now once that devastation has ended, whatever's left, you have to rebuild. So you, Japan is a perfect example of a country that rebuilt. They do not, at, at, right after World War II, right after Nagasaki and Hiroshima, you don't need a bunch of people running around doing kabuki dance and doing all this kind of stuff. You need to make Toyotas. You need to rebuild. You need to get rice on the plate. So you go and you learn a lesson from nature. What, what teacher in nature teaches us that? The bees. The bees teach us how to pollinate the earth and make honey. So in a bee culture, you have a queen, a hierarchy, you have soldiers, and you have workers. You have a, you have an, a cadre of eunuchs, mindless workers called drones. You have the fighting bees that protect and keep everybody in check. And you have the queen that says, this is what I need in order to keep the hive that you work in happening. So humans adapt the bee behavior. As we evolve, we adapt the wasp behavior. Every wasp can stand on its own and it can sting you indefinitely. It does not sacrifice itself. It will sacrifice your ass and move on and do what it does. And it's not serving uh, just the nest. It serves itself. It, they have smaller units. You know, so nature gives us many, many teachers. And so to ask you, you know, what happened is um, the, the devastation of all societies will cause a dark time for that society, a loss of illumination. Uh, uh, people are walking around in the wilderness in the apocalyptic time. Most of the people born have no memory of the greatness of society. They only know that they were wounded and defeated, and they must live up to and worship that that defeated them, even after the conquerors are gone and have died, just like religious idolatry. 
There was a time, they say, when the giants walked around and people are still feeding the giant. They still feed the Vatican, feed the Vatican. They still feed the temples, even though they don't serve them anymore. So we forget about the idea of provision, provisionality, where there's a time when this should end. So we're at that time, and I think there are always going to be the epigenetic resonance in the youth that reject and say, hey, you know, this doesn't sound right. Why am I still worshiping the sacred giant? And it does nothing for me, and it doesn't exist anymore. So we're seeing this slowly coming up in the generation right under you of people saying, no, this isn't working for me. I like who I am. I'm not defeated. My grandparents were defeated, but my great-great-grandparents were great warriors. And they're saying, this isn't working for me. So there's a crisis right now of the old ways, that the, the, the more recent old ways, but the ancient ways have always left an opportunity and a map for us. So you see that more and more, even though this generation is lost, they don't have the means and way, the light is coming back on. And they're saying, you know what? I don't want to be um, Western. I want to learn from many different cultures. There's no such thing as cultural appropriation because my genes have asked me to look far and wide to improve my species. So to improve my species, I will take from everything that has given me richness in life and I will adapt that to me. I will learn. I will, I will learn how to enjoy and be a part of all of this that is my humanity. So then you have people run out and say, no, no, you can't do that. You can't marry this person. You can't sing that song. You can't dress this way. So they're following the rules of a dead society. Those are the rules of the dead society. The society with no life. The zombie society. So they have these rules and ideas that no longer work and they're trying to make them work. And in order to make them work, it's like dragging a dead limb around. It takes a tremendous amount of energy and gives you little back. So there are people rejecting that naturally. You're rejecting. You're naturally rejecting that. You're doing your spoken word. You're exploring yourself. And, and, and it's always been burning in you. It was never able to put out. Yeah, you are a descendant of, 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 of all these great things as, as all of us are. Humans exist because we had passion and we had the sun in our heart. We are children of the sun. Japan, is uh, their religion is they are children of the sun, right? You think about a country like Sri Lanka, it's called land of the lion people. My God, land of the lion people. The lions are long dead and been killed off, but my God, just can you imagine that's the name of your home and what you were called were land of the lion people. And you have names like people named Leon. You meet a guy named Leon, he's named Lion. My God, what you see, we, we, the parents don't even know what it means. You meet Leon, that means lion. I'm a lion. I'm like a lion. That's beautiful. Just beautiful. So there's something that resonates in us that inspires life. When you take passion out, there's no life. There's no reason to exist. A person who is suicidal and ready to kill themselves because there is no more to live for. There is no sun in my life. That's what we call depression. It's just a constant shadow. You live in a world that is uh, not technicolor, but you live in a, a color that's monochrome. And there's no day and there's no night. That's a passionless world. And you see these people get together where, you know, you're, 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 you see these people that are trying to couple like drones. Well, it looks like you have a plan for the future that fits my plan for the future. So we'll all just kind of try to procreate. The sperms don't even swim anymore. So now they're going to all sorts of uh, people to get the, force the sperm together because there's no ardor. There's no passion in you. People come up to me all the time and says, hey, how did you guys have kids? How did you have kids? What did you, you get the same question, right? Vince, somebody comes up to you and Becky and says, How'd you have kids? What the hell do you mean, how did I have kids? You know, Becky saw your brown ass. You saw her uh, little white ass, and it was like some kind of jungle book scene. Couldn't keep your hands <laughs> off of her. She said, She said, I like his black ass. I love him. And you said, I'm going to spank that white ass. And then all of a sudden, here comes these beautiful children. Strong, beautiful, wild, full with life and love. And they, they transmit the passion under everything else. You and Becky are a beautiful couple under everything else. 
that passion shines in your children. It glows out of them, right? And so that's what makes life keep happening. And you take that away and you have just, uh, uh, you, you don't have much to, 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 to write about. Not much to write about. Just the drones in the hive, doing what they're supposed to do, waiting for death. So it was a time in our cultures, all of our cultures, that, that we were devastated. And we're in the twilight of that devastation. And that twilight existed, you know, 50 years ago, not a long time, 100 years ago, not a long time. But also in the soul and a lifetime of an individual, you go through your own Mahabharata. You go through your own ups and downs. I know often when I meet people who have found someone in their life that inspires them, it wreaks havoc on the structures of their life because their life is often connected to the hive, whatever that hive may be. And it's always amazing when you see people come out of their hive. It's like walking out of a movie theater. You know the long thing when you have movie theaters? They don't have movie theaters anymore because of the Kofifi. But they used to have movie theaters. You go in the movie and you walk out and the sun was still out and you couldn't see. You ever had that experience, right? Caitlin sitting there, yeah. Caitlin was high on drugs, so her pupils were dilated. So when she goes to the movies, it's even a worse experience. She comes out, you can't see anything for a few minutes, right? And you just have to shield your face, and you don't know if you're watching Jaws or if you're trying to catch the bus or whatever. So it's just, it's so illuminating, it can be blinding. But it's not blinding. It's clarity. Clarity seems blinding. When you... When you found yourself in, and you start working on that, you told me, you say, you know what? When I started this journey, I might have married for certain reasons, but I dig my wife now. Now that I'm myself, a lot of people don't have that experience. They usually get divorced because you know they married somebody they were supposed to marry or they married for wrong reasons or they were self-hating or something like that. And then when they love themselves and they really like themselves and they look over and that light shines and they really love their partner, that's an amazing thing. Then they have friends that they really love. They develop really loving friendships. You see how it works? So when you can have a loving friendship with people you have met because of your own light, you create your own family and your own community, your own tribe. And they inspire your light to shine even brighter because you have the means, the ways, and the skills to offer that illumination and radiance to others, right? And you go out there and you start meeting not people that are just like you, but they're like you in heart and mind. So to have passion, you have that. So when you ask a person and they don't have friends, they don't have people that they can connect to outside of arranged interactions. These are the people of no story. These are the people of no note. These are drone one and drone two. These are the people who have, they will pass through this world leaving no impact at all. Thus, they never lived. They never existed. You follow me, Vin? Z, what you're talking about really inspires me because one, it gives some context to why we live in this passionless world. And perhaps, as you're saying, we're going through a transition and a few generations have accepted that we have to hunker down, we have to restrain ourselves. And now it's becoming evident that that's not serving us. It's this dead weight that we're carrying around. It's inhibiting the very force that moves us forward that gives life color and meaning. And there's a wide scale rejection of that. And I hope you're right. I think if you are right, that's a very inspiring narrative. What I worry about a bit, where does fear fit in? Because what I see in the world, and especially during the pandemic, the behavior of people became exposed and it's becoming a little more transparent Maybe there is an idea that we can go back to a world where we follow our dreams, where uh, we engage with people in more of an authentic way, 
we do things that we care about. But there also seems to be another trend, which is we're just afraid. We're afraid to rock the boat. We're afraid to get sick. We're afraid to offend. We're afraid to reject official guidance and make our own decisions, think for ourselves, have personal accountability. I think that's a lot of what's driven the behavior in the pandemic. This sense of panic and, oh, my God, I can't take any risk. I better just do what the authorities say. And again, I'm not here to opine on what the reality is, uh, whether this is a huge threat or a modest threat. But certainly I think the way that people have reacted has been from a state of fear and panic, which has been accelerated by the media, by social media, by the constant attention that we provide to the headlines, to our cell phones. And when you're in that state of fear, you're always retreating into yourself. And to me, that's the opposite of passion. So when I think about passion, it's about expression. Can I take what's inside and broadcast it outward? Can I radiate? Can I share my knowledge, my ideas, my skills? In doing so, I inspire other people. I attract other people. Whereas when we're in a state of fear, it's the opposite. It's how can I take from the rest of the world to protect myself and hunker down? And how can I do things to avoid disruption? Because passion, by its definition, there's an element of novelty, of creativity, and that implies a disruption of the status quo. So if you go out and you try and do something new that's never been done, uh, by definition, you are going to be disrupting established routines and conventions. And there's a cost to that. It might lead to some conflict. It might lead to becoming a social outcast. It might lead to less security, more volatility in your life. If you work a stable job and you want to go and pursue something that inspires you a bit more, you've got to take the risk, and that's some disruption to income. Or even if you're not worried about that, you're worried about your family's reaction, and you want to make sure that you fit into your family, your community, your tribe, so you don't want to take that risk. So if we think about that, and you think about those two competing forces, on the one hand, maybe this awakening that you're talking about, which is we've gone through world wars, we've gone through colonialism, we recognize that either we recognize explicitly or implicitly is just a feeling uh, that the old way of doing things has run its course and we can chart a new course and live in a way where we more fully express ourselves. So that's one trend. The other trend is a trend towards anxiety and fear and retreating into ourselves, which by itself destroys passion, curtails passion. What is the resolution of those two things? How do you see them interacting or evolving and any thoughts on where we end up? Well, my thoughts as you're talking, Vin, just so many visions go through my mind. And, you know, there's nothing new under the sun, just pe new people standing under that same sunlight, following those same lessons. Whatever you're going through in life, someone has been through or going through and it's been written about. As Vyasa says in the Mahabharata in the beginning, you may see these well words elsewhere, but if you don't see them in here, you don't see them anywhere. That's a good place to start. And you think about the lessons of that. So we live in an interesting time where <clears throat> using the analogy of the bee, ask yourself, are you a drone, an enforcer, or a queen bee, or king bee? You want to put it in those terms. And so the vast majority of people fall in that category. What if you don't fall in any of those categories? What if you're just an opt-out? You're just an outlier. The beehive breaks open, and all of a sudden the sun rushes in. In that moment when the, the clarity when enlightenment rushes in, you can make a choice to hunker down and cover yourself, turn away from the light, be ignorant, or you can just fly out there and find other bees who have escaped into the light and start to create a new reality. Reflect upon the things that you didn't like about that hive and the things that you did like and try to create a new order for yourself. So we live in the times where people, the vast majority of people, are living in a hive that is not sustainable anymore. So there is no truth anymore. There is no truth or pursuit of truth. Ignorance is revered and intelligence 
is despised. The light is despised. People want to turn away and they want to stay in the dark. Do you want to be a drone, worker bee, an enforcer of the status quo? Or are you trying to be the dictator of the drones and the worker bees? How about just find your own way? Create the reality that works for you. But that requires the willingness, and as in the Maharat, that warrior spirit, that you know what, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm good. You know, it's gonna be an interesting journey, but I'm good. Um, I always tell people, look at the people in your life that you love and value, and start that as a reference point, as your arc, so to say, through the apocalypse of the mind, through the apocalypse of our society. And I'm not saying that in biblical dreadful ways. I'm just saying, I don't want to be a part of this madness. So I have created a reality. I connect with people who are like-minded and like-viewed, and we build from there. We take our meager resources and we build from there. And we have we have a pretty good life, wouldn't you say, Kayla? We have a good community of people. It's growing whenever we meet people that are outside that we haven't seen for a while, they come and they say, hey, this is great, I get you. Or they hear our podcast and they say, I, I know where you're coming from, I can relate. I'm, I'm, I'm an opt-out too. Um, we're, we are hiveless, but we're able to, we're productive, but we're hiveless. And then when you talk about <clears throat> fear, the fear is the abandonment of faith. So whatever your religion or faith is, go back to that. If you're Taoist or Hindu, go back to the Tao, go back to your, uh, your, your Mahabharat, your Upanishads, and read. Read what it says. Think about what you said earlier uh, when we talked about uh, sensuality. There's a woman in the Mahabharat who was the wife of the five Pandus, Drupadi. She had five husbands. Five husbands. It represented the five virtues every man should have. But she describes in, in great, term, great detail what she gets from each man. So she's not... And other people, weaker men, saw her as a loose woman or a slut. But she wasn't available to them. She was available to her husbands and, and, and whatever they had to do together. But she wasn't available to weak men. She wasn't available to cowardly men. She wasn't available to low-life, uh, cruel people. She was available to the most virtuous men in the world. And that's a hell of a statement, my God. You have other archetypes in there that we can emulate and learn from as we move through the apocalypse of, of time, through the twilight of this Kali Yuga, so to say, that we live through. Again, we go back to older discussions. We have to opt out, Vin. We have to opt out. You're going to be okay. You're a brilliant man with a, a, who has skills to offer that will provide for you and your family. I'm a reasonably intelligent guy that can figure out how to navigate this world in such a way that I can support and provide for my family and my community. And we all have different things we offer along the way. We have different skill sets as a community that we trade and interact with. Some bring food, some bring money, some bring knowledge. Everybody brings something to the potluck of the free people, of the opt-outs. So freedom isn't free. We have to look at each other and nurture the wealth and value of each of us as we go through this world. And But we also have the idea that if we follow the yamas and niyamas, if we follow the dharma, it will get us through that. So think about that. Right speech. What the dharma says. Right speech. So we communicate. And we communicate clear with first our partner. See, our intimate partner is an exercise for the rest of life. You cannot truly have good intimacy if you don't communicate with your mate. If you can't communicate with your mate, you probably do not communicate well with people that you are not intimate with. So you're a person of many faces that can't be trusted. So be trustworthy. That doesn't mean you have to be saint-like or some sort of holier-than-thou person. That means you use healthy, healthy restraints. If you can't be comfortable with people, don't be around them. If they offer you no value and no worth, why are you even wasting your time contorting yourself to their liking? All human relationships are based on mutual benefit. What do you get out of that person? 
we talk real crazy to each other here. Everything's pretty open. Is this? I mean, uh, Caitlin's always suing us for Me Too or something like that. She's always hearing crazy stuff. You know, Kiko's nutty as a loon. Uh, we all have our thing, but there's this amazing ability to connect and love one another, to hear each other out, to cry and laugh together. Poor Caitlin was just complaining about Jante and them laughing at her while she trained. Yeah, they're laughing at me while I train. They're laughing at me. And I said, keep training. What's that got to do with your training? So they keep training until there's nothing funny about the way you look or the way you train. You don't know how to fight and all that. They're teaching you how to fight, but they're not doing it in a safe space. Hell, you're not going to fight in the world in a safe space. It's going to get real ugly if she wants to learn how to fight and everything because she figured, you know, with her issues with men, she's going to have to have a guy she can beat down. And she, she, her idol is that woman from that movie, Misery, Kathy Bates. So she says she's so going to find a guy and be his number one fan, tie him to the bed. So in order to do that, she has to learn MMA, martial arts. So the guys are teaching her that because she knows her chances are slim unless she learns to fight. So, but they're laughing at her, they're teasing her, but because it's done with so much affection and love and the exchange of knowledge, that's all part of it. Most people don't want that. Oh, if it doesn't, if it isn't delivered to me a certain way, uh, it, it's not appropriate. If you speak to me a certain way, I got to cancel you. If, you know, come on, just opt out of that madness. You know, get, get down to the nitty gritty. The, the Vedic texts known as the Upanishads literally mean down in the dirt. Let's get down in the dirt and deal with this. I got issues with you, man. Let's talk about it. I got concerns, man. Let's let's talk about it. You know, I feel uh, uh, I didn't. We had a misunderstanding. Don't run away. Don't go hide and be go back to the hive where there's no light. There's no light in the hive. You understand? They're doing stuff. But there's no light, and it's only serving an overlord, a faceless overlord. Can you imagine that life? That sucks, man. Good God. That's what people are doing. Waiting for the news. What should I do? How should I behave? Look, we know we're in an apocalyptic time, societally for human beings. It's like something out of a horror movie. It really is. People are masked up and some people are killing people because they don't want to mask. Other people are women. Look, I just want to be anonymous to get home. So I wear the mask just not to draw attention to myself, you know, go collect some funds from a local bank or whatever, and just keep going. I'm glad you don't notice me because I want to be, I want that energy to be assigned to those that love and those that nurture me. So I can take this inconvenience and turn it into a convenience. It's comfortable. I can get by. Um, but when I'm around the people I love, we can be more in tune to one another. When you and I hang out, it's a wonderful experience. Um, hey, we should all <clears throat> take a lesson. If there are <clears throat> the large majority of people are, are medically or me metabolically compromised, most of the people in the hive are sick. You've heard about sick beehives. There was a problem. You know, the bees were dying off because Monsanto had all infected them. So they were dropping dead and they weren't sure how we we're going to pollinate the earth and all this kind of stuff. That's a real issue. But then when we apply that to humanity, there's a lot of sick people. Do you really miss being around them? I found that I used to like to go to the movies every now and then, right? They've shut down all movies. Every few months I used to go to a movie, whatever version of Alien is out. Anybody knows me, you know, anytime there's an Alien movie out, I'm going to go see it. Can't do that anymore. So you know what Netflix has? It's great. It's even better. I used to like to go in and do diplomatic immunity in a movie theater so I could eat whatever I want. Twizzlers and popcorn. Well, now they have... They have Twizzlers at Whole Foods that are healthier than the others. And then I don't eat the popcorn anymore because it's so genetically modified. So I found a quinoa chips. So I get my quinoa chips and my Whole food licorice. And I watch Aliens in Endless Loop. I just love it. I just love it. So And, I, and now I've exposed my kids to that and they love it. I come home and they say, hey, can we watch the Outer Space Monsters? And we all have a family bonding thing. So this has all worked out for us. But you have to not be tethered to the behavior of the hive. You can't be a drone. So that passion gives you the character. So you're no longer a drone. What makes you different than a drone is that you have passion. You have interest. Ask people, you know, we've talked about this, Vin, before. Ask people, you know, what's your hobby? What's your interest? At the end of the day, or your weekends, what gets you excited? If they don't have anything they can tell you, 
slowly move away from them, slowly proportion less and less of yourself to spending time with them. They say, oh, I go get drunk. I do uh, lines of fentanyl and coke, and uh, I just try to drown my humanity out uh, because the sun is too bright. Passion's too bright. You know, just pull yourself away because they will suck the life out of you, and they may infect you with not only kofifi, but the zombieism. Okay, you don't want to be infected by that. You have somebody that loves you and they know everything about you. And they know all, all your shameful things you've ever done in life and it turns them on. That's beautiful. Get somebody that you, 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 you've done some shameful, crazy things in your life, whatever it was, and you, you share that with your partner. And they say, well, that's pretty damn cool. That's when you know that's a keeper. If you're walking around way down and got to hide stuff from somebody, that's not good because that creates a knot, a tumor, a cancer in the soul. And it violates the Dharma. Because now you have to live a lie. And in order to live that lie, you have to shut down. You have to shut yourself down. Now you have to be part of the zombie apocalypse. Who needs that? So again, we go back to our basic thing, Vin, is opt the hell out. Feel this life. Taste it. Taste the flavors of life. Enjoy the passion of life. So as our lives, as, as our bodies dissolve with time, when we go out of here with the last grain of sand that's left in our essence, we look back and you know what? We had life. We lived this life. We rode this thing out. We had great adventures. We had heartbreaks and love affairs. We had short-term, long-term, one-night stand. We did it all. We climbed a mountain, we fell in a river, we went to different countries, our passport was worn out, we learned some things, we read some books, we did it all. What a life. That's what, when, that, when it's all said and done, that is your personal eulogy. Because it's a short life. Why let the queen bee and the enforcers dictate your um, uninteresting existence? Who wants that? So Z, I think that's the right perspective. The opt-out mentality, which we talk about a lot, we don't have to tether ourselves to the masses. We don't have to be part of the hive. We don't have to identify in that way. And I think equally importantly, we don't have to identify in the opposite way, which is let's live this life of unrestrained passion and impulse and avoid personal responsibility and avoid obligations to other people. So you talked about the Upanishads getting down in the dirt. As you're talking, I'm thinking about Buddhism and the middle path. You want to use intelligence and discrimination. You don't want to go too far in one direction or the other. And I think avoiding the alignment with the herd in the first place is what can keep you sane and keep you on track. Because we've talked about one consequence of not having passion, which is we end up in this zombie apocalypse and life ceases to have any meaning. We might as well be dead. We walk around without any presence, without any expression on our face. We're not taking in what's happening. We're not evolving. So that's a bad outcome. But I think an equally bad outcome is we end up repressing. So that passion doesn't go away. And I think that's some of what I've experienced in my life, where I've choked down the things that I want to express. I haven't lived at times the way that I felt most comfortable with. I haven't followed paths that have resonated. I haven't spoken my mind. I've tried to fit in. And every time I do that, it's like you take a force, like a geyser or whatever it is, and you keep on stuffing that down. And you keep on trying to dam it up. And eventually it explodes. And then you go too far in the other direction. So that leads to rage. That leads to some of the violence that you've been talking about. Uh, the horrible behavior, the kinky sexuality, uh, the midlife crisis where you get to a point and you say, the hell with this, I can't take it anymore. And a lot of people take a look at that and they say, oh my God, where did this come from? He had the perfect life. And this is something I think we touched on at the end of the last podcast uh, where there are certain people and you look at their lives and you think, oh wow, it was so perfect. They had the house, they had the money, they had the fame, the status, whatever it was. But they had no integrity. They weren't alive. They weren't pursuing anything that they truly cared about. They were selling their soul in a certain way. 
And the natural reaction is you go too far in the other direction. So you do something that's self-destructive, you do something where you lose control, you put your finances at risk, your family at risk, and so forth. So I think that's also the advantage of opting out. We don't get in that oscillation where we're cycling back and forth between extremes, which is just what naturally happens when, on the one hand, you try and suppress passion, control passion, eradicate it, and perhaps you do stamp it out and then you're part of the living dead. Or if you don't stamp it out, you rock it in the other direction and you're constantly bouncing around. And you're not ever reaching that point of contentment that we talk about, which I think is so fundamental to living a good life. Just being at peace with where you are, with your choices, your day-to-day existence, that leads to clarity of mind, that leads to presence, that leads to gratitude, all the things that are going to bring meaning and satisfaction to our lives. So Z, as we wrap this up, maybe just some final thoughts from you on that middle path. I think you've mentioned a few things. Uh, For example, with intimacy, you've mentioned communication as being very important uh, to be able to unleash passion, but do so in a way that's mutually acceptable. And we've talked about stepping back from the herd and the drone and not identifying and uh, really defining what's important to us, our hobbies, our interests, pursuing those. Any other thoughts on how to navigate the two extremes, walk that middle path, where we are intelligently using our passion, uh, we are using it to express ourselves, so we're feeling alive, we're feeling engaged, but we are not ruled by that passion. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a review on Podbean, iTunes, or your favorite podcasting app. Each five-star review helps us bring you more unique and insightful content. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. Peace.